0: Welcome to the Unapologetics Podcast. Join Dr. Timothy Gillespie and Dr. Alex Bryan as they unapologetically talk about theology, philosophy, and trying to find the right questions. Hey, everyone, welcome back to the Unapologetics podcast with Alex Bryan and Timothy Gillespie. Alex, you know, I was searching for Unapologetics on the, I don't know if it was Apple or Spotify or whatever, and it turns out there's lots of podcasts named Unapologetics. Did you know that? I didn't. Imposters. I know, but they've been doing it for a while. (laughs) There's a lot, like there's probably eight or nine. So as clever as I thought it was, apparently it is... You know, so make sure if you're looking for it. Well, why would I explain how you were looking for it now? If you're listening to this, you found it. Congratulations.
1: It, capital I-T, not some of the others right. that are the mere it's.
0: There's some that are un-apologetic. That doesn't even make sense to me. No. That's not inappropriate. No. Pretenders to the throne. Pretenders. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Hey, man, how's the uh,
1: weather up there in uh, Washington? Um a little bit milder, but of course, mild here means it's freezing in Southern California, yeah, no it's
0: it's in the fifties today again, on inappropriate actually, it's as beautiful a day as I've seen, so um, you know that's our small talk. Let's get into the business, shall <laughs> we? We're not very good at that um, so Alex, we've been talking about revelation, we've been talking about a bunch of stuff, but um but. Today we wanted to talk a little bit about inspiration and kind of what that means. Maybe we need to define that to begin because revelation and inspiration have a tendency to go together, correct? And why is that?
1: Well, because they are uh, related in that they are components of the way that we believe God communicates with us. Mm. And so for, for example, in uh, Paul's uh, letters to Timothy, it says that the scriptures are God-breathed, that they are inspired is the word. So I think I mentioned last time that this is pulmonary language. This right. is the language of breathing something into the airwaves, into our lives. And so inspiration is the fact that God has impregnated language with his own intent. Mm. That he has that he has breathed a word to us through some mechanism through some alphabet of right. sorts right so revealing is um,
0: revealing is God it's self-revelation all all revelation is God's self-revelation but then we're talking a little bit more about how he does it when it talks about inspiration correct And there's some That's categories right. there right there's some categories there that we should probably run through really quickly we've got things like verbal inspiration where god spoke directly to someone and said write this down in the beginning right and a lot of people think about their scriptures that way it's verbal inspiration every jot and tittle as one of my professors said which i don't don't know why he said it that way but um he would say every jot and tittle um was put down in this particular way moving all the way to um to kind of thought inspiration, which is the idea that, you know, God, God revealed himself and inspired people to write. And then they wrote down in their own words, um, the scriptures, um, all the way to, if we're talking about inspiration, we can go all the way past that on a continuum to, well, maybe it's not all that God breathed at all. It's just people working out what they thought. Correct. I don't know if there's a word for that one. (laughs) Um, uninspirational. I don't know. (laughs)
1: It's a, it's a, I don't even know. I'm stammering. It's, it's a miss. It would be a misunderstanding or a low resolution or a twisted interpretation of what one hears, I suppose. Like when one of my children would say, well, dad said X. (laughs) It's always this really nuanced, twisted. Well, dad didn't actually say that, but. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, and each one of these has different implications, right? For how we understand scripture and how we understand faith, Um, right? If you come from a verbal inspiration point of view, you're going to have a hard time arguing there's any sort of error within scripture. Um, If you're a little more thought inspiration, you understand the collaboration that happens between humanity and God a little bit more. And you can realize that there might be some things that we need to deal with the synoptic problems and that sort of thing as well.
1: Go ahead. It looks like you're, you're breathing in as if I am. Yeah, go. So I think that we need to talk about the mechanics of what we're actually talking about then yeah, before we can talk about, well, what should be our approach to thinking about inspiration? So here, here are the mechanics or the, or the component parts. One is we believe God speaks to us so that the, the act of inspiration is that God is actually having something to say. And this is revelation. inspiration then becomes the means that that revelation is delivered so we begin with that uh, in the beginning god you know forms the earth through communication so that i think that that's an important theological starting point we believe that god speaks dr tim dr alex we believe that god speaks and that he uses means obviously there's mechanisms for that communication to take place that's what we're talking about right secondly then uh, we have ears so (laughs) That could be literal ears or metaphorical ears, but we have to then capture that communication. Just like the two of us on this podcast are reacting to one another. Sometimes I say things and I can see the expression on your face. I don't really know what he's saying. Meaning you're having to sort out, well, what is Alex trying to say? And I'm trying to tease out, what is Tim actually trying to say? So the act of inspiration is both communication that somebody, in this case, God is saying something, and it's also that I'm trying to interpret or hear that communication. And so this creates some real intrigue then in how we're going to talk about inspiration, because it's not just that God said something, it's also how we hear it. And then I'll just add a third component, then I'll Uh turn it back over, over to you. The third component then is what do we do then when, when when we act as a conduit or we share that information with someone else? And this is really the work of scripture. So God said something. Abraham claimed to hear it. Mm-hmm. Moses heard the story about uh-huh. what Abraham said that was passed on through generations. Moses wrote it down or, or, or someone wrote down what Moses had to say. Right. In a different language, a different time a different geography, a different culture, and then this story, this communication gets passed down through thousands of years. <laughs> and now we hear it. So this is like this is like
0: a a eons long game of um telephone, right? Isn't that what they call that game?
1: Uh yes.
0: I'm glad you're agreeing with me. I think it's older. telephone, right? Where you, start, where you start going around the circle and you're telling, yeah, that's kind of what we're talking about here. So how can we, first of all, I mean, I guess we could ask, how can there be any veracity in what we're even seeing?
1: Well, first of all, I would say, and I will answer your question.
0: <laughs> you may answer my I question say, like nine questions later.
1: <laughs> th- this immediately creates problems with a literalistic interpretation of what we hear, because do, yeah. uh, do you mean what God said or how Abraham heard it or the way it was written in the Hebrew or the way it was later translated in the Greek or the way it was passed on through different variations of G- Germanic languages or English or American English or whatever. So I think that it creates some humility with when I, when I pick up my NIV Bible that's sitting you know, here on my desk, gotta be, I gotta be careful with that. So what was your question? Now I've completely botched well, no, your answer your question.
0: I'm confused now. No, um, that, I mean, that's a lot, right? That's a lot. And the question is about the veracity of what we read in that NIV Bible, yep. right? And, and I know that this opens up a whole nother discussion on that, like, how was the Bible, how did it come together and that sort of thing? Yep. We don't need necessarily to give a history lesson, although you probably could do that. Um, <clears throat> I think the... The, the simple question, the simple practical question is, can I trust this thing that's in front of me, and how can I trust this thing, right?
1: So I think there's a couple components to that, Tim. I mean, one is, in spite of the fact that I've described this long process of the telephone game, one is you and I would believe that God has played some role in wishing for that communication to have veracity over time. So that's an act right. of faith. That's right. an act of faith. We believe that God has, has guided this process over time. And this is more of a historical point. We also recognize that in the Judeo-Christian tradition, that interpreters of these stories, tellers of these stories have taken this process very seriously. In other words, this hasn't been casual baton passing over time. Mm-hmm. That we see that, no, people have really, the rabbis, we're, we're deadly serious about this. And this, this was the sacred text not to be trifled with. And so I would say as far as that process concerned, I have a lot of confidence in it. One, it's a matter of faith because I think God has guided it. But second, we just see how serious people have taken the translation of those scriptures, the, the passage of that communication has been a big deal.
0: Right. <clears throat> that's sort of the excuse me. <clears throat> that's sort of the the importance of the Dead Sea Scrolls when they were found, right? Cuz we saw we saw manuscripts from 700 years prior to what we had seen, I think something like that. And and the accuracy was pretty solid on that. And that gave us that gave us some trust in the seriousness that people took it. And I also think that that one of the points that you made that's really important is the idea that that God is still collaborating, right? God was still involved in that messaging process. He didn't just say, here's the message you guys sort it out, and then realize, you know, 2,000 years later, hey, you kind of messed up. There, at, least, at least it would seem that God has, an, has a vested interest in his character continually being exposed through these words, right?
1: Uh, apps, amen. Agreed.
0: And that, that brings us to the scriptures that we have today that we're looking at and saying, okay, number one, how can we trust them? Number two, how do we interpret them? And number three, kind of, I'm, you know, that process of inspiration, what, what freedoms because, because every way that we talked about before, like verbal inspiration, thought inspiration, that sort of thing, that, that all provides some sort of guardrails for the way that we think about scripture, correct? Not to overuse that term guardrails. I don't know that I love that term.
1: No, but, well, but. By the way, I don't really like to see guardrails in my life cuz that means I've <laughs> wandered off the, literally to take the metaphor literally. Um, right. No, but I think I I I think that it means I think the guardrails are important. I think it means a couple of things. One is just because I can trust by faith and again by historical analysis that what we have in front of us because of the dead sea scrolls because i think i mentioned last podcast that we have some two thousand fragments for example of the new testament which is an abundance of relatively early copies of this material like there's lots of good reasons to trust it but the question i i think the the greater question is not can i trust the historical veracity of what i'm reading i think the greater challenge is in my own ears, hmm. and how I'm going to listen to it. That okay. and that's what you're talking about. By how, so, how am I going to listen to this? I think we just assume, you know. For example, we're like, wow, we got to dive into scriptures to it, you know, sort out their meaning. And it's sort of like, I think we need to dive into our own ears to say, well, how am I going to listen to it? Like, it's pretty arrogant, and w- like we approach scripture thinking that we have this is a post enlightenment sort of a, a an approach that. I've got this great rational mind and I will now attack the scriptures to make sure I can understand what they're saying when really I've got so many issues in my own head going on. I got to make sure I'm hearing them right. And I think that's part of this guardrail you're talking about, which is, and I don't think we talk about that piece enough.
0: Well, I think that's, that's kind of a move from kind of a modernistic worldview of thinking about it to a little bit more of a postmodern socially constructed worldview of how I'm hearing. So there's, so there's, this is fascinating probably um at least for me the idea that inspiration is as much about reception as it is transmission yes right
1: so how do you sort through that how do you sort through that
0: because that doesn't doesn't that set up sorry i know i keep asking questions and then pushing on but um but doesn't that mean that you and i may hear the same thing with such different words it might not be the same thing anymore Yes, and I then mean, is it that- And then let me push that further. If that's the case, then does that mean we're? Then are we believing in the same thing anymore? Not to bring it back to a, an epistemological question, but I wonder if my kids, be- even if my kids believe in the same thing I do, do they believe it in such a different way that it's not the same thing anymore?
1: Wow! Now you're asking the questions today.
0: Well, I've been waiting to ask these
1: questions to someone who can enlighten me. I'll say, yeah, I'll say a couple things. One is the word humility. So I think that, I think that we need to approach Scripture with humble ears, humble hearts. I think that that's a starting point. Second, talked about this last week. I think that we need to understand that inspiration was, was given not simply to individuals, but it was given to communities. Mm. and therefore multi-generational communities. And footnote, this is why our editors, gonna be, uh, our editors are going to question whether we're t- chasing rabbit trails, but this is why I have concern that in our tradition, not just in our tradition, but we send the kids to study the Bible with their age group and we send the teenagers to send their Bible with their age group and then the young adults have their own Bible study and then I think it's, it's a problem it's a problem because then we do start hearing the scriptures differently, and I would argue we start to hear them in ways that are not rich and full and true hmm. when we just divide up into our little groups, and th- and then we form well, and then we form groups around our own perspectives. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I like a Bible study group that has a hard right approach, or I like a group that just talks about a hard left, you know, agenda, or I like. We do segmentation, right? and then then we like to pick up Bibles that are like uh, the Bible with notes for women, and the Bible with notes for men, and the Bible that's designed for, you know. I'm not knocking all this because I understand what we're trying to do with some of this. I'm not trying to wipe out everything Zondervan's attempted to do in the last (laughs) 100 years. (laughs) I get specialization, and I get the fact that when we're having, you know, Bible time with our kids at home, that we're trying to contextualize it for them. But I think you raise a, I think you raise a real issue about how we we particularize the 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 embrace of this inspiration, mm-hmm. which is what we're talking about today, right? And then our hearing of it becomes very selfish, right? Very self centered to our own group, to our own skin color, to our own, you name it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that
0: it. it. I mean, it's easy to say we're all reading from the same Bible, but we're, we're not all seeing it from the same vantage point, right? Which, which so let, let's talk about the Holy Spirit for a moment. We believe that the Holy Spirit is still in the midst of inspiration, right? And maybe it's in the reception and the interpretation of what was originally said, if you will, or as close as we've gotten to it. How does that... Um, So that's an act of faith, right? Believing that the Holy Spirit is still guiding this. So that means that when I look at my kids and they go, no, dad, I don't think it means this. I think maybe it means this, or this is what it means to me. That's valid. Unless it's, is there a line on that? Because this is why I don't like being in small groups. And I I shouldn't say that as a pastor, because we always try to get people in small groups. But every time I show up in a small group, I have a hard time listening to people who are like, well, I think it says this. And I'm like, no, that's not... It's not at all what it says. You know, and you always want to pull out the Greek. Well, did you read that in the Greek? Because in the Greek, it means this. Because, you know, as a pastor, that's your trump card. Nobody can really argue with you about that unless they know Hebrew, and then then you're in trouble.
1: Well, let me ask you this question. What's the difference between a pastoral reading of the text, a, a historical, like, a historical reading of the text. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what it was meant. Could 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 Pastor Tim be meeting with some teenagers in a Bible conversation, and they come to some conclusion about how they're being inspired by some story? And you kind of know, well, it's not actually what happened in the story, but you assess that the way they're using the story is actually spiritually beneficial. What do you do about that? You shut
0: up and be really glad that some teenagers found something applicable to their lives in Scripture and the way that they're interpreting it. At least pastorally, that's exactly what I would do. Um, Because is Scripture just about right or wrong? Is inspiration just about right
1: and wrong? Or is it about something more than that? I think think that we always—you and I have spent a lot of years of education, okay? We both have— terminal degrees in in this area, in this general area. So I'm not, so I'm not knocking, you know, I'm not, but I don't think that the primary purpose of scripture is an academic pursuit. Mm -hmm. I think the primary purpose is how it gets formed in my life, that I live in an ethical, moral, loving, I'll use that word. That's not a light word that I, that I live the way of love. And I sort out how to how to engage in that kind of an existence i mean i so, so i think that goes to you know is is the point and this is part of the you know the protestants have brought great gifts you know we're, we're protestants but right. also i think the down the downside is that we just start arguing about everything and and what we should be arguing about is how we can love better not right. about the particular angle or meaning of some obscure text right
0: so so could we extrapolate from that that inspiration needs to be leading to greater love, a greater expression of love? And is,
1: of course, maybe the point of it all? What does Jesus say? Yeah. All the scriptures hang on mm-hmm. one basic idea. Yep. You know, so... Not only do the scriptures all point to him, he says, which we talked about that a couple episodes ago, but second Mm -hmm. of all, the point of all of it is that I would live in a different way. Right. And that way is, Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Right. The rest of it's just commentary.
0: Right, which means the Bibles we carry around could be a lot smaller probably. Um, But I think they're all, I think you're right. I think they're all making a point. And I think, I think that's one of the most powerful aspects of thinking about the inspiration and the Holy Spirit's um, commitment to inspiration. Because throughout those 66 books that we've landed on in a Protestant canon, um, all roads kind of lead to that, right? All roads, thematically, all roads lead to a greater love expressed into the world and the greatest love being expressed through jesus as not only an example but also a relationship and a commitment that god has made to his people you know the provenience of his love for us the way that he loved us first and moved first we see that all throughout the old testament canon right with the covenants it was it was i don't know where it was people going to god hey we'd like to make a deal with you it's always god moving first right so the provenience of god we see from creation through Jesus, through you know, the, the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension. It's always been the provenience of God, God moving first. Um, and that's got to be—something's got to hold that together, right? Because you don't take 66 disparate books over thousands of years— and find a commonality unless there's something divine in the works, right? I mean, that's, that's what, when I read Scripture, that's the thing that gives me the sense of, like, someone's holding this together, which reminds me of, you know, Colossians 1.19, he holds the universe together. Like, I, I find that same thing in the strands, in the words that, that make this mosaic that we call Scripture.
1: And I think that you said several important things there, but I think one is really critical is that the purpose, the why question is that God desires relationship with us. Mm-hmm. So the, the, perp- the purpose of this body of th- this revelation that's in this inspired form we call the text is not merely moral instruction, but it's a desire to relate. And it's, right. it's interesting that in Genesis, God is talking to the earth for the whole week, He's he's already engaging the trees, he's already engaging the 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 squirrels and the dolphins and the mountains and the light. He's talking to it. That's, now think of it. He's that's enga- good. the 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 whole the whole the whole of the creation story is a God who's not just forming things or starting things, but he's immediately talking, and then he's saying things. Oh, you're very good. Yeah, he's affirming. Oh, that's oh you're cool. good. You're very, very good. And so I think that to, to to rob the relationality of it, then I think is to, that's an important guardrail because I think most of the time when we go the wrong direction, people are wandering off into some prediction about the future or some historical point or the technicalities of exactly the metaphysical uh, mm-hmm. nature of when you die, exactly what is it? I mean, it's always like just about, stuff, mm-hmm. and it is lo- it's lost the, the connection to that relationship. So I think, yes. you, think you're calling out of that's really important.
0: But I think the way that we, I mean, let's go back to the way that we teach kids about creation, right? What we teach them is what was, what happened on what day. That's our emphasis. What happened on which day? Our emphasis is not on, and he started talking to the trees and letting them know immediately, they were good. They were great one of my favorite quotes, and I may have said this already, I apologize if I have. One of my favorite quotes from my whole doctoral program was done by a colleague of mine, one of our people in our cohort, and she said, creation happened because it listened. It's good. And it, like that preaches, that's, that's so beautiful. But, but you're right, we have, we're really interested in the mechanisms, right? Even to the point where we begin to say things like, you know, are there degrees of inspiration? Yeah. Right. Like so is there some inspiration that's more inspired than other inspiration? And I ask that I ask that from a functional point of view. I gotta stand up in front of a congregation every single week and be somewhat a inspirational, which means I have to be somewhat be inspired. And is that less than other kinds of inspiration? Are like like do I get on the continuum at all as a pastor or do I not? I mean, I know some weeks are better than others. We can, we can certainly admit to that. But I'm working on a sermon right now. You know, we're doing this in between working on two different sermons, actually. And are the words that I say inspired by God? And is that up to me and the words that come out of my mouth? Is that up to the Holy Spirit working in people's ears? And then what's the degree? Like, could my stuff be canon? Could somebody else's stuff be canon? No. Like, let's
1: unpack that a little bit. I'm interested in that. Yeah. So two thoughts. One is I think that when Dr. Gillespie stands up in the pulpit and communicates, we're hearing you uh, talk back to God. So if, if I, to go back to the creation, to go back to the creation idea, the trees talked back. When I go up to, when I go up to the Mount, when I go up to the mountains, um, and there's snow up there right now, and there's trees, people go, I, I hear God talking to me in nature. Okay, that's fine. But really, I think what we hear is we, we hear creation talking back. Hmm. In other words, we hear, you know, even the rocks cry out. So humans are the humans are the only, only creation that has a problem with this whole, you know, <laughs> the, the, the nature talks back. So I think that sermons sermons talk back. So that's just a footnote. I'm going to answer your question, but this is a <laughs> It's a footnote to your point though, is I think that, I think that when you stand up and communicate, it's, you're, sh- you're sharing dialogue. You, you're reflecting the dialogue that you had with God. So to the point of degree, sorry, that was a, a diversion. I'm going to, a- I'm going to, I want to answer your question. I'm going to raise you a question, raise your question <laughs> with a question. Oh, we're getting rabbinical. Huh? Do, you te- do, do you speak in different degrees of, we'll say inspiration To your children to your three kids when they hear their father speak do you go this is going to be category one this is going to be category two this is going to be category three are you or do you just talk to them
0: well i mean there's different intensities of volume depending on the conversation but i'm not sure that's
1: inspiration no of course not right of course so so you're in relationship with your children right Sometimes it's playful communication. Sometimes it's instructive. Sometimes it may be painful. Sometimes you're lifting them up. Sometimes it's just kind of functionary information. Hey, you know, Hannah, dad's going to be down at the uh, coffee shop, you know, on fourth street and blah, blah, blah. So there's different kinds of communication, but you're just communicating with your three children because you love them. Right. Because this is what a father does. A father, right. a loving father communicates and you're not putting things in categorical boxes. Okay. So let's just right. say, so if we go back to the premise that God communicates us principally, cause he wants to be in relationship with us. Mm-hmm. Some of it's playful, some of it's instructive, some of it's different, kind. you know, some of it's painful communication. Some of it's affirming us, whatever God's communicating. So one, I really struggle with the idea that God is categorizing communication, like that some of it is a some of it is a higher degree of communication. I struggle with that. So major prophets, minor prophets, major yeah, I love that's really good. (laughs) Major prophets, minor okay, but. When when you communicate with your children, Tim, there are different kinds of communication that serve different purposes. Right. You may send a text message, a group text message to three kids to say, "This is really critical information." At a, you know, some communication might just be gone in a minute. Some you might be saying, "I want you to kind of hold on to this for a longer period of time." I just wrote um, I just wrote a, a series of letters to my two kids that I'm actually going to publish into a a book. I don't really care if anyone reads it, but it's, I wrote it because I'm 50 and I'm getting older and I wanted to have them something that they read for a longer period of time. So scripture, canon, authority. I don't think that God communicates differently in scripture than he does to Tim when you preach, but I think it's a different function. Right. There's an enduring quality to it. There, it. It serves a role. certainly in the Christian tradition, it serves a role. Mm-hmm. How, how would you make the distinction between God communicating to Jeremiah and to Timothy? Timothy, not biblical Timothy, but right. present-day Timothy. How, how uh, would you how do you make that yeah, distinction?
0: Yeah, I mean, it seems like it seems like there's there's a critical nature of what's being said at the time. Um, there's a spread of who it's being said for said to right like i think there are times and i hope this doesn't sound arrogant i think there are times i speak to my congregation where it's as important as when jeremiah was speaking to the children of israel right there's a critical moment that needs to be spoken to because prophecy prophets, if you will right that's that's you know it's not the idea of unpacking the future prophecy is the idea of leading a group of people in the way that god would want them to go and um, you know that's not to say that everything I say needs to be put into canon because it might not be for everyone. I think God has kind of specific revelation and inspiration at times as well. Um, but also, I think we look at we look at what stands the test of time and speaks to the greater character of God through those through those stories, right? Through those prophetic words, if you will, and through the people that God was inspiring to write. Um, And that means that we've probably got some modern-day prophets, if you will. I hesitate to use that word because that can get super weird super quick. Um, But there's still some checks and balances with those people as well, right? But then we have the question of, okay, so is everything—I'll just use myself as an example, not that I'm claiming to be a prophet by any means—but is everything that I say prophetic? When I say to my wife, hey, will you make sure that you grab a dozen eggs when you go to the store today— is that prophetic, and should that be? When I send you a per, a personal note, is that something that should be considered inspired? Right? Did everything that Picasso drew and yeah. painted was everything that he did inspired, or was some of it just weird? Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't know that. I, I. I. In fact, I don't think I answered your question. I think I upped you some.
1: Well. Some questions. Well, let me say. Let me say. Just. Just. Much. Our audience will probably know about formation of canon many of them will understand well how did some books make the new testament and some didn't for example mm-hmm. you know i i don't think it's a well but the things that were true made the new testament and the things that were false didn't i think that that's too simplistic i think they said no this is the stuff that's worthy to stand the test of time it's going to help us moving forward it's not that there were other in fact in fact even uh luke We just studied this in a Bible group that you and I are part of. Even Luke said, there's loads of people writing up stories of Jesus right now, Theophilus. So I thought Mm -hmm. it would be a great thing since you're paying me to do this. I'm gonna write one up for you. So there were loads of other histories of Jesus. I I don't think that all of those other histories that were that Luke refers to were wrong. It's not I don't think it's just a well does that make sense? Like I think it's just this is enough. This is enough to provide sort of an authoritative record for us moving forward and i think that's what i think that's what canon um i think that's what canon is now john says at the end of the gospel of john i've written this these 21 chapters but i haven't written everything in fact the world could not contain the library of everything that jesus did and now i'm going to push us i'm going to push us a little bit on that and say Could it be that he's not only speaking about what happened over three and a half years, but could Jesus is also going to do a load of other stuff into the future? There's going to be whole libraries that are going to be written in places like uh, Redlands, California, and Walla Walla, Washington. Jesus is going to be alive in the spirit. Loads of libraries are going to be written about what he's done. So keep on writing. Oh, that's good. Keep on speaking. Keep on doing this work. Now, it may not be canon in the sense that this thing got formed that helps guide us in a unique way. But I think, I think it's really dangerous. This is why we, we need new literature, right? We need new sermons. We need new spiritual expressions. And that's why I think you can rightly say, Jeremiah. Would argue, yeah, Tim, you got to be the prophet to your community. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm long dead. I was speaking. To, I was <laughs> right. Abs- absolutely, and I think that this is where I think that we misuse scripture when scripture is begging more things to be written. Mm, that's good. <clears throat> that's really
0: good. So what do we do? So let's talk about a very particularly Avanist understanding of this, right? Because we have in our history, obviously, Ellen White. Um, and, and there's varying takes on that in varying degrees. What do we do with that? Because there's, I think authority is a really interesting, interesting concept to introduce here. Because when we talk about canon, we talk about some authoritative scriptures. Like you said, it gives us some guardrails. It gives us some some particularities in, in, to keep us on, on a path, if you will. Um, now, let's introduce Ellen White, who to our faith tradition has... Um, you know has become an authority and in some respects has become in some respects has become over scripture um you know we voted i think it was 2015 they voted that in in the arbitration of difficult scripture ellen white's interpretation is the one we are to go with that's that's a fascinating um move in our church's tradition to say well, she'll decide when it's difficult for us to decide. What do you think about? What do you think about that? What do you do with that? How does that play into this conversation?
1: Well, I don't react well to that <laughs> uh, for a few reasons. So let me j- just a couple of reflections on this person, Ellen White. Number one, please hear me clearly. I think she's made an enormous contribution, and. Uh, Let a, a movement around particularly things like health, healthcare, care, uh, inspiring some pretty amazing things. So like, let's just, I just want to name that. I'm a fan. Now, I'm not a fan with um, one. Why have we never gone through a, a canonical process with Ellen White? So lots of, script, lots of stuff was written in the first century, and they said, well, let's kind of figure out. Here's the point, Tim anything that ever came off of her pen can't be questioned in our tradition
0: mm-hmm.
1: so george george knight who was a professor uh our, both both of us said if if we had come across a scrap of paper where she had written a grocery list out for james her husband to go to the grocery store and like uh, three eggs you know the, he says it's a good thing we don't have that scrap of paper because that's all a lot of people would be eating in other words <laughs> anytime she wrote a letter Anytime she had a conversation, anytime she opened her mouth, we have basically, when I say we, our tradition has the basically tradition. just absorbed all that. That anything, anytime she leaked any information out of her mouth, inspired. Right. I think that that's. I I, I think that that does a disservice. Number one. So I, I think that's one. Two, is we've not really done critical analysis. Um, of her own reflections like we do with scripture my point being we treat her by the very way that we act we we put her above scripture right because we does that make sense like we just even the way we relate to that material is different yeah. than the way we relate. like we don't scrutinize her material in the way we scrutinize
0: scripture <clears throat> right we don't have a hermeneutic that is consistent no. in the way that we look at her material and that's that's done her work a disservice it's done her life a disservice. Yep. Um, and maybe put her in roles that she maybe had not expected to be in or hoped to be in. I mean, I think she served a prophetic role. I think, you know, to me, it's easy to say that because she helped lead a group of people in a direction that she believed was inspired by God. And I think that's, I'm okay with that. But does that mean she's a prophet?
1: See, here's the, I'm going to just say one more thing. And I, to those that are not part of our tradition, you may not understand this, but we could look at the, the life of the apostle Paul and critique when he messed up. And when he was on track, Mm -hmm. we critique Peter who wrote, and we go, Peter, Peter denied Jesus three times. And there was some stuff we go through David's failings, who Mm -hmm. is the principal author of all these Psalms that are, you know, we critique biblical authors. Okay try to critique Ellen White in our tradition. She mismanaged her finances at times. She was, you know, she had uh, some health issues that were probably a result of some of her own habits that weren't so good. She, you can't even say those things without it being controversial. So my point is we got to come to grips as a tradition with just how we approach her life, her writings, how we interpret them, how we critique them. And right now I could critique the apostle Peter but I can't critique Ellen White without Uh, uh, it being controversial. So we're just, we're just, we've elevated her. That's my point is she's become in some sense above the writers of scripture, even Mm. in her person. Right. Because, because we can't say, well, over here, she really screwed up. And some of the stuff she wrote wasn't, you know, maybe the best compared to over here. We do that with biblical writers. Right. When we look at their lives without any controversy at all.
0: Yeah, but to not do it to her. Again, I think it does a disservice, right? It does. It makes her say things that she didn't say and it makes things canonical if you will that that she probably never expected to be. I it makes her
1: infallible. It makes
0: her infallible. And listen, I remember playing music one time, um, you know, which I did when I was younger and getting a getting a quote, you know, and I don't know where this quote came from, an Ellen White quote. You know, those anonymous Ellen White quotes you get left at your doorstep every once in a while. Um, so I went through and I found out where, where this was. And she was talking to one particular person in this one particular instance. And this person had obviously globalized it and applied it to me and, and that sort of thing. And, and I, you know, I know that's bad hermeneutic for anything. I know that that's just horrible. And if somebody were to take my writings, quote unquote, my text messages, my and take them out of, not even out of context. Sometimes they're not, f- like I've said things to you, I've said things to Sam that are not for anyone else. Like they do not apply to anyone else. And to use them would be an abuse of of my intent, abuse of context, and an abuse of a relationship. I can say certain things to Alex Bryan that I can't say to someone else because we have an established relationship and you will take them in a certain way understanding what i mean and what i'm saying and to not have that to this person uh, one other one other story so i i work at azusa pacific university i'm a i am an adjunct professor for them in their nursing program have been for quite a few years and um one time i was on their campus and they have a statue of wesley right because they come from the wesleyan tradition and um you know we've got we've got Statues of Ellen White they've got a statue of Wesley, but their relationship with Wesley is significantly different, maybe because they withheld that concept of of profit, right? Maybe because that's not nomenclature that they use. They said commentary they said they said um, you know, methodology, they said, certainly inspiration. I think they've used that that term, I think all those things, but because they didn't attach that term profit and then then elevate their relationship with Wesley is way healthier I think and by the way they quote him in sermons right they quote they quote his commentary in sermons for sure but th- that relationship with the wesleyan community is different by the way we come from the wesleyan community let's just be clear on that like that's our part of our faith tradition as well for sure but um but because of the nomenclature that we've added to Ellen White. We've given her a different standing. And I think, we've, I, I think we've not only abused generations of people, we've abused her and her writings
1: and her intent. Yeah. And, and Tim, that's so good what you just said. I mean, I think that, that, con- I think that contrast is bracing with, with Wesley, and I think that we need to think about that. I also think I'm not even sure the word prophet goes far enough with, about the problem. Samuel is a prophet, right. and we look at his story and go, he totally screwed up with his two sons. Right, we look at him and go, he got into some petty fights with, you know, some of the. There's some <laughs> political dynamics going on. You you read right. his story. So it's not just that we use the word prophet. And by the way, Paul says that everybody should be a prophet, but we'll get to that in a future episode. <laughs> but no, it's, it's not that we call Ellen White a prophet. It's that we, it's a kind of prophet that is infallible. Right. You know, the Adventist tradition has really critiqued Catholicism, for example, because of their elevation of Mary, say, is mm. almost this superhuman figure, infallible figure. This is much more of how we've treated Ellen White, much more right. like the Virgin Mary, than even a prophet. And I think, am I overstating this? Because I feel like this is at least my experience as I've heard her, you don't critique, you don't assess. This is a, not just a prophet, right? but to quote Jesus, you know, the gospel, but more than a prophet. Right. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. And, and whether or
0: not that's something that we've assented to intellectually or just something that we've practiced, because quite honestly, actions have a tendency to expose and reveal um, intent more than anything else. And when I hear when I hear certain administrators in our denomination quote Ellen White thirty times in a forty-five minute sermon and quote scripture two or three times, I have a tendency to know which side that's weighted on. And I have I have a problem with that because, and this is maybe silly, right? But she says I'm a lesser light leading to a greater light. You just like flashlights aren't that. Aren't that effective in the in noon, you know what I mean? <laughs> By and large, you know, when I'm on a walk at noon, I don't need a flashlight. Um, that doesn't diminish her role. There are times when a flashlight's super helpful, but but we have a tendency to overstate the the lumens of that flashlight.
1: And, and ironically, for those who would wish to defend Ellen White, it's her elevation to the status is. is Is absolutely destructive so when someone says to me for example well did you know you know a critic say a critic of her work well you know she said this and you know she did this and you know this other thing so that means that you know you gotta and i'm like yeah i know all that yeah and and samuel mismanaged his sons right and peter denied jesus three times and then and then and, couldn't, and David, couldn't stay on track and, with and, dealing with and, the Gentiles. And David had a guy murdered so he could take his wife. Right. Which yeah, she she wasn't perfect. And guess what? Uh, my friend Dr. Gillespie's preached probably 2,500 2, sermons in his life. Lots of great stuff, but he's not perfect either. Some real stinkers in that. But <laughs> yeah. th- does that mean? So I think I, I think it's just the the obs- those that would wish to defend her work, do her an incredible disservice by elevating her to the position of where everything has to be defended. Right, right. Because which, we don't even do that with biblical writers. Right, which speaks, which speaks so, it speaks so powerfully for the
0: way that God collaborates with humanity, right? Doesn't demand perfection from them, but what he, what he demands is continued obedience to listening to the voice of God, because you're gonna get a few of them right. Right. I, like every sermon I preach does not have to be a home run filled with eternal truth. I hope that one thing I say a week, somebody goes, oh, huh. I hadn't thought about that. That's really meaningful to me. That's really helpful. I can apply that to my life. I don't need to I don't need to be batting a thousand, but I know that God's in the midst of it, you know, and that's and that's, I think, huge. I mean, we can deal with this question of authority um, again and again, and we probably will. But I think that the addendum for our particular faith community that we just went through, I think, is really important. So I appreciate that, Alex, and I appreciate the boldness in which you're willing to speak on that, because um, I think it's true. I think our the biggest detriment for us as a, as a Christian denomination, a Christian expression of who God is in the world, hinges on the fact that we keep christ as center not be distracted by something else so i really appreciate that and and having said that it's probably time for us to to wrap up alex always uh a thoughtful conversation sorry about that and um for those of you listening we really appreciate it alex anything else we need to we need to announce or talk about or um, what we do need you to do is if you listen to this and you like it go give it a little review um, either on the Apple podcast or Spotify so that people can know that this is a good thing. And we'd love you to share this podcast with anybody you think could listen to it.
1: Absolutely, and would love any of your uh, feedback and ideas for questions you have or topics yeah. that you'd like us uh, to journey through. Um, I think you can tell that both we, we love God, we love revelation, we love our tradition. And at the same time, we wanna have that unapologetic unapologetic conversation uh, to lead to some hopefully some more healthy ways of thinking and being absolutely yeah.
0: alex thank you so much for being with us listener thank you guys and uh we hope you have a great week and a great um you know whatever it is you're doing we'll see you.